for those of you that were, were here last week, um, I was talking uh, about spiritual warfare, and so I read from the passage in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, and I read right the way through and talked about the armour of God, and I heard there were some good discussions in the home group about what it means to put on the armour of God. Uh, but at the end of that passage, uh, there is a Paul finishes um, by talking about prayer. And so that's where I'd like us to continue because it's really uh, one flow, if that makes sense. He's talking about spiritual gifts and the challenges we face as Christians and he flows straight into prayer. And so let's read it together then, shall we? Uh, it's Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 19 and 20. Very simple, just two verses we're going to work from this morning. So it says, um, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance or speech may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So that's it, two verses. Um, doesn't mean that the message is going to be any shorter, just to let you know. <coughs> because within that uh, couple of verses, there's quite a lot of information, really, that Paul is giving us about prayer. And, and I suppose my heart for us as a church is always that we would move into greater expression and greater power in the area of prayer. Because there's a famous quote by a guy called Oswald Chambers. Has anyone ever heard of Oswald Chambers? If you haven't, you should read him. Uh, he is a profoundly uh, wise man. He, he died at about 25, but he wrote this, or his wife then put together his sermons. And the, the, some of the, not, the, the wisdom of God in it is just profound. And, and this quote is quite a famous one. It used to be on the wall in Eltham, and it says, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so what he's saying, Oswald Chambers, is that prayer doesn't prepare us for something else. Prayer is not our, what we need to uh, get through the day, as it were. Prayer in itself is the greater work. And if we want to see the kingdom of God it grow and expand, if we want to see the church built, if we want to see lives transformed in the community, in our church here, prayer is the work. And you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, but we need to do lots of activity. And absolutely, activity flows, but it has to flow out of that place of prayer. And so that's why I want to take a whole session this morning on just thinking a bit more deeply about the subject of prayer. I want to ask you to put your hands in the air, right? right? Not like you just don't care. Um, <clears throat> but I would like to put your hand in your air if you find prayer difficult at least some of the time. Amen. Who hasn't put their hand in the air? Because they can come and preach the sermon. <laughs> Did you just not, Peter didn't put his hand in the air. You say you never find prayer difficult. Well, well, it's oh, it's just difficult lifting your hand. Okay, that's fine. You see, prayer is a deeply spiritual and powerful activity, which is why it is so difficult. All right? And there are two things that, that are um, really, I suppose, that we need to be aware of about why prayer is so challenging. Right? Because prayer is essentially an unnatural activity. It is unnatural. 
right? You were not, your, your natural being is not geared up to pray, right? Because what prayer really is, is quite simply, it's the submission and the suppression of your will and your desires under the will of God. And anyone that knows anything about my own body or my own flesh or my own mind, my own, it, the Bible says that our flesh is against God. So everything in us naturally wants to do the opposite of submitting our will to God. So when you sit down and think, I'm going to pray in your chair, right? Particularly if you haven't learned the discipline of prayer. And I would say that prayer gets easier for this reason, that you learn to bring your, your flesh, your body, your mind into submission to God and that becomes easier to do but I remember when I um, uh, started out prayer you'd sit down in a chair and the moment you sat down right it still happens to me now in fact right everything in me wants to get up and go and do something else is that just me right so often you're like oh I just forgot that I didn't text so and so about this thing that I needed to tell them about or um, oh Helen told me I needed to put the washing on this morning and I've forgotten to do it or um, you know oh the dishwasher needs to be done or I need to send this email or I need to do this thing and everything in me wants to not pray and so we need to realize that prayer is, a, is the submission of ourselves to God which is why it's so difficult but why it is so important and secondly and this is where I think Paul picks this up. We need to realise that the devil is terrified of people that pray. Right? You might not think it, Debbie, right? But you are a scary individual, right? <laughs> Alan tells me every day, right? Help. But when Debbie starts to pray, demons tremble. And you, the weakest Christian on his knees, is a terrifying thought to any demonic force or power. Because when you start bringing the power of Jesus into a situation, there is nothing they can do to stop us. Or they can at least only slow us down before eventually they have to give in. And so we need to realise that the devil will do everything in his power to stop you doing the thing that's going to undermine his. Do you understand? And so that's what Paul's talking about. That's why prayer features as part of this passage on spiritual warfare. Because basically, if you want to be, if we want to be able to stand against the enemy, the way that we do that is by cultivating a life of prayer. And as a church, if we want to be a church that makes an impact in our community, if we want to be a church that sees lives transformed, it will happen primarily through prayer. So, what do we understand firstly about prayer? Firstly, it's this, right? Prayer is not like being Harry Potter, okay? Right? Uh, uh, anyone ever followed Harry Potter? Don't watch any of it, bits of it, right? But basically, Harry Potter, essentially, it's all about spells. If you say a certain, you know, spell in a certain way, right, okay, then you get, you know, magic powers to do things with your wand, right? Prayer is nothing like that. Prayer is not like a special formula or a sort of things. If you say it in a certain way, you get power, right? That's not how prayer works. Prayer is from the Holy Spirit. And so it doesn't actually matter what you pray. And you might think that you are not very good at praying and your words are jumbled and you can barely get stuff out. And you think, and I'm sure some of you sat here this morning and thought, I'd really love to pray out loud, uh, but I'm just so afraid that I wouldn't have the right words to say and I'd end up looking like a fool. It doesn't matter. Because really, it's not you that are praying, it's the Holy Spirit that's praying through you. Right? And this is really important. Right? There's this amazing verse that gives me such confidence. Right? It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the buts that come with the Lord, but God, or but the Spirit himself, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You might think, oh, I can barely just say the words, but there's something in you, the Spirit in you is praying. And that is where the power comes from. You see, really, the Spirit is the one that's praying. He's the one that's praying, and really what you're doing when you learn to really pray, you're basically just putting words to what the Spirit is already praying. And so that releases us from feeling like the pressure of having to pray, because, well, having to you know, feel like we've got to get it right when we pray, because it flows from the Holy Spirit. Do you know that um, you know, it talks about our bodies as a temple, doesn't it? And I, thought this, I, I was thinking about this, right? If your body is a temple, what does it mean to be a temple? It means that the Holy Spirit uses that temple to offer sacrifices to God. Your body is essentially the temple through which the Holy Spirit is offering sacrifices to God of prayer. And so that's why it's so important that we make our bodies available to God. And you might, uh, uh, John uh, Watson, who uh, is the pastor in Eltham, came up with this brilliant phrase, which I think is fantastic. He said, um, uh, I would rather, I wasting time with God. He said, it's more powerful and more useful to waste an hour with God than to do anything else. And you may sit there and think, well, I've wasted an hour. I've sat there and literally I've thought, I can't remember what I've said or nothing really happened. But in that moment, I believe that so often God is ministering through you just because you're making yourself available to God. Because really, prayer isn't coming from us, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. So what does Paul say then? Let's look at this verse. The first, and I'm going to pick it apart almost a couple of words by a couple of words. It says, praying always. Praying always. Do I pray always? <laughs> Am I praying now? There's another verse that says that Paul uses, and Paul uses this expression or this thought that we should be praying continually. There's another phrase in, in Thessalonians 5.17 that says we should pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing or pray without stopping, right? Does it mean that we have got to be saying prayers 24-7 and we should feel guilty for every second we're not praying? Is that what it means? No, clearly not. That is clearly not what Paul means. Clear, Paul does not mean that we should just spend our entire life going around, I'm praying for this and praying for that and praying for this. And someone says, hello, how are you doing? Pray for you, you know. I'm just like, That's not what it means, Right? Praying always is about a lifestyle. It's about not just thinking that I got up this morning and did 10 minutes or 20 minutes, or if you're really spiritual, you know, like, like uh, Caitlin, you know, two hours in the morning of prayer, didn't you, Caitlin? Got up this morning and spent two hours with Jesus. Is that right? Yeah? Amen? Yeah? Good. Yeah? It's not about just doing your bit in the morning. That's what he's saying. Prayer is a lifestyle. Okay, and I remember um, uh, there was a guy, some of you might remember him, he's a guy called Richard Wells. Does anyone remember Richard Wells? And he had this expression, uh, he was a minister of ours, uh, and uh, he used to have this expression called arrow prayers, which I quite liked the thought of arrow prayers. Do you know what arrow prayers are? Right, you're walking along and you just shoot an arrow, shoot an arrow, just shoot an arrow up to the Lord. Right, and, it's, and that's that idea, right, that we go through life and we can say things like, as we walk into the situation, Lord, I'm walking into my meeting, Lord, I want to just pray that you bless me in this meeting, help me to be useful to keep this meeting short. <laughs> yeah? Or I'm walking into a situation where I'm going into the pub to meet my non-Christian friends, it's like, Lord, let me be a blessing in this place. 
let me not drink too heavily. Amen. Yeah? Um, and uh, I read a story that explained this really well, actually. And there was a, in, in the 19th century, there was a group, uh, anyone heard of John Newton? Yeah, John Newton, uh, amazing guy. Uh, and they used to meet once a month for theological discussions. Right? And they used to get together to have these big theological discussions. And they, they would spend an hour talking about it. Uh, and they, they picked up this question of what does it mean to pray always? To pray without ceasing. And they talked about it for 45 minutes and they couldn't come up with a decent answer. Uh, and uh, finally, there was a, a maid who walked into the room. Okay? Uh, and I find often women have great wisdom in these areas. right? Um, and one of the ministers kind of casually said to this maid, who was a Scottish girl, he said, maybe you can tell us what it means to pray without ceasing. And she said, oh, um, uh, it, you know, oh, that's not a problem, you know. She said, when I get up in the morning, I, I get myself dressed. And I pray that Jesus might dress me with his righteousness. And when I come down here before you men and I dusted the furniture, I prayed that he might cleanse me from the filth of my soul. And when I set before you this food and drink, I prayed that Jesus might be my meat and drink until eternal life. So, sirs, I just kind of pray my way through the day. I pray my way through the day. And so that's what it means to pray your way through the day. When Paul says pray without ceasing, pray always, he means pray your way through the day. It's very easy to remember that, isn't it? I made that up right there and then. That was good, wasn't it? I pray my way through the day. What? And that's what you do. And you're walking out into every situation. You're praying. And how are you going to stand against the devil? Because you're never quite sure when a fiery dart is going to come, are you? And you're never quite sure when an attack is going to come. But if you have this cultivated, this attitude of uh, make your way through the... What did I say? Pray your way through the day. If you're praying your way through the day, every situation you're entering, you're bringing Jesus into that moment, aren't you? And you're saying, I'm praying always. Lord, I just, I just want you to bless this. Help me as I put away these chairs, that you would use these chairs, Lord, to bless people this morning on Sunday. As I'm, you know, making a coffee or taking a coffee, Lord, I pray you bless this coffee. I'm not... We, we don't, we, you know, let's be realistic, we're not going to do every single thing, but there's that attitude of heart of praying your way through the day. That's what it means to pray always. Prayer is not an exercise, it's the life of a saint. So that's what Paul says when he says praying always. And it says then, it says with all prayer and supplication. So to pray with all prayer and all supplication. Now, for those of you that are great scholars, you will know there are many, many types of prayer, right? Many types of prayer. There's adoration prayer, praise prayer, thanksgiving prayer, petition prayer, supplication prayer, intercession prayer, spiritual warfare prayer, 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 right? What Paul's saying is just pray. Whatever type of prayer it is, whether you're asking God for something, whether you're thanking God for something, whatever it is, whatever type of prayer it is, just pray. But this is the thing. What does it mean? What do supplications mean? Now, I was thinking about what's this word. I, I cannot remember the last time I used the phrase uh, supplication in my normal daily life, right? I, I didn't go uh, out with Mark. You know, Mark and I went for a drink with Tanner a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't Mark and say, Mark, uh, could you supply me with a, uh, a beverage? I said, no, I didn't, I didn't say that, did I? No, supplication. Can I make a supplication for you for a beverage? It's not a word we use, is it, right? Okay. Right, it's not a real word that we really use in English, but really, do you know what it means? Simply, it means to ask someone for something. So when he says, with all prayers, doesn't matter what type of prayer, and asking Jesus for something. And you know what? What does it say in John chapter 16, verse 24, Steve? 
<laughs> just enjoyed that, sorry. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Ask and you will receive. And it says in James chapter 1, you do not have, or is it James chapter 2? You do not have because you do not ask. Right? And I think we spend a lot of time complaining to God. We spend a lot of time complaining to God. We moan to God. And sometimes we're apologetic or we're indifferent. But I realise in my life, often, I don't actually ask him for stuff. And what does it say if we ask? He will give it to us. And I think often we come to God and we're like, oh, this with us. But really, do we really ask God for something? But this is the problem, right, with asking God for things is that really often we don't ask God for things because we haven't come to an end of ourself. Really, we're praying, we're moaning to God about the situation, but we're really saying to God, I'm moaning about my work situation, it's a pain, and I'm not enjoying it, but I'm still handling it, God. I just wanted to tell you that I'm still handling it. I've still got this under control, but I'm moaning to you about it and wondering why it's not getting any better, but I'm still moaning about it. Has any of you ever come to that position in prayer where you've run out of options and you realise that if God doesn't get involved, it's going to be a real, real mess? And God brings you to what's called an end of yourself. You realise you've got, you can't do it anymore. You haven't got the strength, you haven't got the energy, you haven't got the answers. And at that point, something in you just says, Lord, would you come and do it, please? Would you come and intervene? Would you come and make the difference? Would you come and deal with this problem? Because I can't do it. I don't have any strength left in me to keep doing this. And I think there's a heart of supplication where God wants to bring us to an end of ourselves. And we moan at God and we complain at God and we say, and that's fine, and God doesn't mind that, but the situation doesn't change because we've not really asked for his help. We've not really said, and Paul's saying, pray with all prayer, it doesn't matter what type of prayer it is, but just ask God for stuff. Ask him. Ask and he will give it to you. Because what's a, do you know what happens when you really ask that question? What happens when you really ask the question? Who changes? Does the situation change? What happens, Joyce? You change. Joyce has been around. She knows. She's been around that road a few times, haven't you? I'm sure, as we all have. The longer you go on with God, you realise that you come to God and you say, God, I've had enough. I've reached the end. This doesn't work. This is, I'm fed up with this. I need you to come and change this situation. And what happens? Your problem doesn't change. You change. And Jesus begins to deal with us and so prayer is not a matter of changing things externally, but working miracles internally. Well, sometimes it is. But I, I would say that so often it's stuff that happens inside of us. And out of that, often then God reaps the change. So I would encourage you to, when you come to pray, come and pray with all prayer and supplication. And so what does it say next? What's the, the next phrase? It says... How should we pray always with all prayer and supplication? We should do it in the Spirit. What a great phrase. We should pray in the Spirit. Well, um, I, I, it took me a long time to sort of, and I still don't think I really understand what this means, right? Uh, to understand what it means to pray in the Spirit. But let me tell you what praying in this flesh is, because I think I've figured that one out, right? Okay, I think I've worked out when I'm praying in the flesh. First of all, when I pray in the flesh, right, 
uh, prayer feels exhausting and very dry. When I'm praying in my own strength, prayer is exhausting and dry. Yeah? Uh, and we all know, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we all know what it is to feel deadness in prayer, difficulty in prayer, to be tongue-tied with nothing to say, as it were, having to force ourselves to try. Well, to the extent that is true of us, we are not praying in the Spirit. That's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. All right? And so often we come and we try and we try very hard and it just feels tiring. The other thing about prayer in the flesh is it's often ineffective. Not a lot changes. I, I remember I've prayed for one or two situations and I remember actually praying about Reuben. Uh, and Reuben uh, has got a uh, medically diagnosed thing called a spasming bladder. Right? Uh, and he has got a kind of undersized bladder, which basically meant that he, uh, for quite a long time, just until, to be honest, not that long ago, uh, used to wet the bed on like, pretty much every night, sometimes twice a night. Right? And it wasn't because he was like, emotionally damaged, just in case you were worried, that I'd scarred him as a parent. I probably have, but you know, uh, that wasn't the reason for his bed. It was a medical thing. And I remember really, and I just, I, re- I began to, I got to a point, and I'd prayed about it, we'd kind of prayed, and I realised I hadn't really asked God to deal with it. I hadn't really asked him to do it. And I got to a point, I was like, Lord, I'm fed up of washing duvets every single day. This is exhausting, right? Having to wash all the stuff every day. And, and I just began to pray. And I remember really praying. There was something I began to pray in the spirit. And do you know what? It's completely changed. I was like, uh, do you know when you suddenly realise, like a week or two later, you're like, oh, he's kind of stopped wetting the bed. Yeah, and very occasionally now he has a problem, you know, but basically from that point, somehow, the problem was he, he, would, he just wouldn't wake up. And now, like, he quite often wake up and it's fine. And I believe that when I was, I was praying in that moment in the Spirit, I'd reached the end of myself and I began to pray and I asked Jesus, because I hadn't really asked him for it, and Jesus did it. And I was thinking when I was praying, I was thinking, I really should get lots of other people to pray. And I actually just didn't do it in the end, but God still answered it because prayer in the Spirit is effective, prayer in the flesh is ineffective. Prayer in the flesh... Thirdly, is so often driven by sympathy, not, the word, not really the Spirit of God. So you can pray in a v- very out of sympathy. You can see a situation and you can look at someone's life and think, oh dear, isn't it awful what's happening to that person? Isn't it terrible that the mess that that person's life is into? And actually you praying from a position of sympathy rather than from the prophetic word of God in the spirit. Because it may be that the Lord Jesus is taking someone through a storm in order to work something out in their life and you're almost praying almost not what the will of the Lord is. Do you understand that? And so when we pray in in the flesh, we pray according to our emotions. When we pray according to the spirit, we're praying according to the spirit of God speaking and working through us. Do you understand? Right? We're not just driven by emotions. Jesus didn't just heal everybody he saw. Right? He healed those that he felt called to heal. When he walked into the pool of Bethesda, there were lots and lots of people that were sick. And it says he healed one of them. He could have been moved by sympathy, but he was moved by the word of God. And we need to be, when we're praying, we pray according to what the Spirit says. And so here's the difference. When we pray in the flesh, we are pushing the prayers forward, while in the Spirit we feel caught up with what the Spirit is already praying. Do you understand? When in our flesh we're like, Lord, we're pushing this prayer, we're pushing this prayer. But when we begin to really pray in the Spirit, we feel the sense of the Holy Spirit praying through us. And I can't always explain to you like how that happens. It just, when you do it and you get, start to learn it, you realise that's it. And I'm praying something in a more effective way. And you see, prayer is not about getting things from God. Prayer is about coming into that place of communion with God and praying his will. Do you understand that? 
Yeah, we're praying the will of God. And that's so important for us as a church. That we learn to pray in the Spirit. And do you know the simplest way to learn to pray in the Spirit is learning to listen. I don't know about you, but you, you know, when you pray in the flesh, so often you just go, right, I need to pray for that situation. This is what I'm going to pray. This is what I think you should do, God. This is what I think should happen. And you just reel off all the things that you think in your head or your natural emotions think you should do. When you pray in the Spirit, you start like this. Lord, this is a terrible situation. What, what do you want me to pray for in this situation? How can, God, you use me to pray for this situation? How can the Holy Spirit use my body and my words and my heart to minister into this situation? It's a very subtle difference. I'm not just pushing my ideas. I'm waiting on God. And then once I start to hear that voice of God, I start to pray and things start to happen. So let's learn together to pray in the Spirit. We want to bring that into our prayer meetings. Uh, what does it say next then? It says we should pray in the Spirit. And it says this, we should pray uh, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. So we should pray with perseverance. Right? We, uh, I have to say that I am not good at this. Okay? I am not good at perseverance. But Jesus, many times, didn't he, or several times in the, in the New Testament, told us stories about why we should be people that persevere. He tells us the story of the friend at midnight that turns up on your door. Imagine someone turning up at your door midnight, knocking on the door, saying, give me some food, and you just think, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. But you get out of bed because you keep knocking. It's like, and, the, and, the, and the story is the man tells him, go away, go away. But in the end, he gave him bread because he kept on knocking. And the other story that's very fun, that, that we'll all know is the story of the unjust judge. What happened in the unjust judge? Anyone going to tell me? No, I'll tell you then. Yeah, so basically, the unjust judge, basically, the, there was a judge who wasn't very just, and there was this widow that wanted justice. And she just kept nagging him, and nagging him, and nagging him. In the end, it said, I'm not, I don't fear God, and I don't fear man, but I'm basically fed up with you moaning at me. Right? And so he gives her justice on that basis. And essentially, what Jesus is saying is that often when we come, we need to be persistent in our prayers. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we can have this illusion that praying in the Spirit means, oh, I really felt we really prayed for that tonight. That was great. It's all finished. And you never pray again. But I think sometimes stuff takes time again and again and again. And some of you here have been praying for something for 20 years, for 30 years, some of you 40 years, you know, maybe 50 years, 60 years. I'm trying to like narrow it down now, you know, like, yeah, right. And praying for the same thing again and again and again. And Jesus hears every single one of those prayers. But we have to be people that persevere in prayer. And Paul is saying we need to be people that don't give up. We should not be naive in thinking that just because we pray for it once that therefore we don't have to pray for it again. We should persevere. It, it then says, so we should persevere in all prayer for whom? Who should we be praying for? It says, all the saints. We should be praying for one another. I, I must confess that I, I do pray. I, well, I do pray for you guys. I do pray for you often. But I don't pray enough. I wish I prayed more. But are you praying for other people in this church? Are your prayers entirely focused on yourself? Or are they focused on, and maybe you, yourself and your family, or are they focused on the church? Because there's a right place that we should be praying for one another. Do you know a great place to start is people in your home group. Right? You may not know everybody in the church, right? particularly if you're new, and you're not going to be able to pray effectively for everybody in the church all the time. Unless you want to take a long list and just say, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. Yeah? But I'd encourage you to start praying for all the saints. Right? If you think about an army, how does an army win a battle? 
Is it a group of individuals that do their own thing? No. An army is a people, a, 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 an army that's effective, stand with one another side by side. Do you remember we had that picture last week of the shields? And I think each of us are standing together. And if we want to be effective for the gospel, if we want to be effective in God working in our lives, we need to pray together and for one another. Amen? So we are praying for all of the saints. And lastly, Paul says this. He says, and for me, so he's saying, and pray for me. Pray for Paul, for me, that speech or utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak it boldly as I ought. Paul is saying here that we need to pray for our leaders. I want to just put it out there. I need you to pray for me. John, who's away with his daughter this week, this weekend, needs you to pray for him. Mark, Patrick, need you to pray for them. And what do we see that Paul is asking for, that what should we pray for our leaders? It says here, we need to pray for boldness. It says, pray that I would be bold, twice. I want to ask you, as a church, to pray for me, that I have the boldness to lead. And the boldness to take the gospel to the people that live in my streets. And I would have the boldness to challenge sin in the church where it exists. That I have the boldness to speak the word of truth to you consistently without wavering. I need your prayers. Yeah, I need you to pray for me. All right? And if Paul, the mighty apostle, needed people to pray for him, then boy, I need you to pray for me. Secondly, what do we pray for our leaders? We should pray that they walk worthy of their calling. Paul was praying that he wouldn't chicken out on the thing that God had called him to do. And you know, the biggest temptation as leaders is that we chicken out on the thing that God has called us to do. And maybe we make mistakes and we fall into sin. And so I want to pray for you, I want to ask you to pray for us, pray for me, that we would walk rightly with God and that we would walk worthy of our calling. Thirdly, what do we see from this that Paul is asking? Paul is asking for the strength of God. And I want to pray that you would, that, that, that you would pray that we as leaders rely on the strength of God. By Paul asking for prayer, what he's saying is, I need the strength of God. Would you pray that I rely on his strength to deliver the, boldness, the, the gospel boldly? So will you pray for strength? And lastly, I love this, right? Paul, the mighty apostle, the great church planter, is making this statement. I need help. What a bold statement to make. I, the, he could have said, I'm praying for you because you need help. But at the end of this letter, how does he finish it? He finishes by saying, guys, I know I've just given you this amazing great letter of great power. But at the end of it, guys, I still need your prayers. I need you to pray for me. And I'm saying as a church leader, I need you to pray for me. And I want to pray that you would help me. Pray that I would continue and, and continue to walk in humility. So as I finish, I just want to just um, ask this last question. Well, okay, great. Tim, you've talked about prayer. We should pray always. We should, um, what did I say? What was that phrase that I came up with? No one can remember it. Pray your way through the day. There we are. We should pray our way through the day. We should ask God for things. Yeah, we should pray in the spirit, listening to what he has to say to us. We should pray perseverance, keep going. We should pray for each other. We should pray for the leaders. But let me ask you this question. Why, therefore, do we need a prayer meeting? Why do we need to gather people together in the church to have a prayer meeting, right? 
Well, let me... Eh? Gives us more power. Joyce, stop cheating. You're getting there too quick. No, it's all right, don't worry. Because, yeah, Joyce, do you want to come preach? <laughs> the first thing, I think the thing that we need to realise is, who was this letter written to? It was written to whom? The Ephesians, which were a church, right? So when he's saying to them, pray, he's saying to them, when you pray together. Because there was an assumption in his writing that they would be praying together. When you gather to pray, pray. Right? And so I think we need to be careful that we don't just think that Paul is talking to us as individuals. But these things are done together. When we persevere in prayer, we persevere together. <laughs> Secondly, right, prayer, I think, is a measure, the prayer meeting is a great measure of prayer in people's own individual lives. Right? This has been my experience. Right? Uh, and it's, there's this guy that Robert Mc, Murray McChaney uh, said, what, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that is... Uh, that he is and no more our prayer life really is our measure of where we are with God and my experience is that people that pray alone individually start to come to prayer meetings when they're on because they realize the value and the power of prayer now I'm not saying that you know always my wife doesn't come to prayer meetings because she's looking after the kids because I have to be there right it doesn't there are practical reasons why people don't always turn up to meetings I'm not this is not a, a, a a kind of a, if you don't turn up, you clearly have no prayer life. All right, that's not what I'm saying. But if we are people that pray in our hearts, in our alone, we are people that want to pray with other people. Right, because we have learned the power of prayer. And so if we look at our prayer meeting, and our prayer meeting is dry and boring, and there's nothing happening in it, and there's not many people turning up, there's a good indicator that really, that the prayer is not happening in the actual life of the church. That's my experience, right? Secondly, right, on second, I don't know which point we're on now, but the next point. We, why we need a, a church prayer meeting is for this. I don't know about you, but I'm selfish. Are you selfish? Good. I'm glad Ruby is. No one else was. <coughs> and I don't know about you, Ruby, because we talk to each other, because clearly it's just you and me that are selfish. Everyone else is clearly just wonderful, right? But I just find that because I'm a selfish person at heart, really, that if given, left to my own devices, when I pray alone with the Lord, my temptation is to simply pray for the things that are affecting me. But when I come and I pray with the church, I'm drawn into caring about other people. I'm drawn into caring about a bigger picture. I'm drawn away from just praying about my needs and the things that are affecting me. I'm drawn into a bigger thing. And praying together stops us from being selfish. Praying together in prayer meetings, this is where we get to with Joyce, right, brings, I think, an additional power into the church. What does it say? Where two or three are gathered, I will be there. And it, says, and it also says, where two or, three are get, or two or three agree on anything, what does it say? Sorry? On earth, then so it will be. On earth, it will be in heaven. Basically, when two or three agree on something, it happens. Right? There is more power when we pray together than when we pray on our own. Right? There is some, because I think the whole concept of the church is togetherness. And so when we come together for a prayer meeting, we are asking, we believe there's a power of praying and saying amen to one another's prayers. All right? And so we need to see that and, and see the power uh, that comes. And I think that whether the prayer meeting, how did the early church start? This is my final point for those of you that are just barely staying awake. Right? Okay? What, how did the early church start? It started in a prayer meeting the prayer meeting was the place that where God poured out his power 
And I don't think that was a surprise. I think that the place of prayer is the place where people are subjecting their wills to God, where they are battling with things in a spiritual place, where they are caring about others other than themselves. And when we do that together, I believe that the Lord begins to move in power. Amen? So let's stand and we pray.